During World War II, a young soldier named David Webster of the 101st Airborne Division wrote to his mother this, Stop worrying about me, Mama. I joined the Army to fight. I intend to fight, and if necessary, I will die fighting. Don't worry about me, Mama. No war is ever won without young men dying. And listen carefully to his final sentence. Things which are precious, things like liberty and freedom, things which are precious are only saved by sacrifice. What a profound statement. And how true is that statement of our salvation? That the things which are precious are only saved by sacrifice. If you and I are going to experience eternal joy and peace with our creator God, then somebody had to sacrifice. And that somebody was Jesus the Christ. Jesus did not ignore our sin. He did not just brush it off. He didn't sweep it under the rug. He didn't try to hide it because God would have never permitted that. Instead, Jesus took our sin upon his body and through his blood offers us the forgiveness of sin. Things which are precious are only saved by sacrifice. And friends, I want to tell you something this morning. You are precious in the sight of God. If God's son dying for you doesn't prove that he loves you, then you need to have your head examined, amen? So today, we celebrate an execution. We celebrate an execution. It's an execution that seems so foolish. It's one that seems so thoughtless. It seems so heartless. Yet we know that without Christ dying for our sin, we have no hope of being saved. Today we celebrate an execution. Over time, as we reflect inward, I think you would have to agree with me that oftentimes we become unsympathetic to what happened on the cross. Often we become insensitive to what Christ endured. 
But sadly, we become unresponsive to what Jesus did for you and me on a cross much like that one. Jesus' plight while he was on the cross was unbearable. Yet sadly, even those who claim faith in his name, those that claim to be a part of the family of God, it seems like the truth makes us numb somehow. But I want to tell you something this morning, friends. The events of Jesus' last week are real. They are real. And our hearts ought to be broken when we become unresponsive to what he did for us. But I asked myself as I was preparing, how is it that Jesus saved me through these events that led to the cross? The first thing that is obvious is that Jesus submitted his body to the cross. In John chapter 19, the story begins because in verse 16, the Word of God says, Then Pilate delivered Jesus to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and they led him away, and he, bearing his own cross, went out to a place called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Therefore the chief priests came to Pilate and said, Do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate answered and said, What I have written, I have written. Then soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus took his garments and made four parts, each part a soldier took, and also his tunic. Now the tunic was without a seam, woven from the top and in one piece. And they therefore said among themselves, Don't tear it, but let us cast lots, let us throw dice for it to find out whose it shall be. That the scripture might be fulfilled which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother. Moms, how does that make you feel? His mother and his mother's sister Mary, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. 
When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. So Pilate approved for Jesus to be executed knowing that he was innocent. Knowing he was innocent. He tried to wash his hands of all of it. But now the execution process has begun. In Roman society, a crucifixion was sickening entertainment. First of all, the, the criminals were marched the long way through town carrying a 100-pound wooden beam on their shoulders. As they went along the long way, it was always the long way, because the Romans wanted to show the people that crime doesn't pay. But in Jesus' case, he was so weak by the beatings and the scourging that he was physically unable to carry the cross and a bystander was ordered to help him. During this parade, officers carried before the criminals a sign that would designate what their crime was. What was Jesus' crime? Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews. Isn't that interesting? In the face of everything that was going wrong that day, they got one thing right. Jesus rightfully declared that he is king. What an awesome truth that even from the cross, Christ rules. Amen? So whatever you do, friend, never lose sight that the man that was nailed to a cross like that, that man going to his cross is no less than the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. Now when the parade finally ended, there at Golgotha, the place of the skull, Jesus found that the vertical stake was already buried in place. And nails were driven here through his wrists to the horizontal beam that he was carrying because they didn't want his body being ripped off the cross. Then the horizontal beam was raised in place to that vertical stake. And then while Jesus is hanging freely by his wrists, the Roman executioners took a 12-inch long spike, put one foot on top of the other, and drove that spike through his feet into the vertical stake that was buried in the ground. There he is. There he is. Your king. There he is, your king nailed to a cross. There he is, your king suffering the shame and humiliation that only a criminal should suffer. 
And then the final disgrace. Your king, while hanging on the cross, is stripped naked. There he is. Your king. That's the one you worship. That's the one you profess to be your Lord and Savior. There he is, bleeding from the cross. Now by this time, most of Jesus' followers have scattered, but there were still a faithful few hanging around, a few courageous people that would see this ugly thing through. There were four Marys, one of which was Jesus' mother. And of all 12 apostles, there was only one that would stay with him to the end. The scriptures tell us that this man is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And we know through our study of the scriptures that that apostle is none other than John, the one who wrote this gospel. But here at this moment, Jesus speaks some instructions to his mother. He says, Mama, take care of my friend. And he looks to his friend whom he loved and he said, John, take care of my mama. And as Jesus hangs on the cross, dying, he submits his body so that you and I can be saved. Our deacons are going to distribute bread right now that Jesus set aside as a symbol of his body that was given for you. And while they're preparing that, I want to share another scripture passage that talks a little bit about the king. Because this day that we celebrate today is called Palm Sunday, and it's always the Sunday before our Easter celebration, and here is what we celebrate today. In John 12, verse 12, the next day, a great multitude had come to the feast, and when they heard Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees, and they went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord the king of Israel. And then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, and as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And his disciples, they didn't understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, they remembered these things that were written about him. And that they had done these things to him. You know, the question is often asked, 
Who is responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus? Was it the Romans? Was it the Jews of that day? Was it Pilate? Was it Judas? Was it his disciples who scattered? Who's responsible? Where does the blame fall? But I think most of you realize that the blame falls right here. The blame falls right here. Because had you not had a sin cancer, Jesus would not have been, had to have been the cure. Luke 22, verse 19, the Bible says, The Lord Jesus spoke, and he took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
But we know through the last week of our Savior's life that not only did he submit his body, but the Word of God also teaches us that he surrendered his blood while on the cross. As we continue to read in John chapter 19 and verse 28, After this, Jesus, knowing all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. Would you repeat the words of Jesus there? It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. And therefore, because it was the preparation day that the bodies should not remain on the cross at the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away off the cross. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who was crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead and they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen this testified and his testimony is true. He knows he's telling you the truth. So that you may believe. For these things were done that the scriptures should be fulfilled. Not one of his, his bones shall be broken. And again another scripture says. They shall look on him whom they pierced. Max Lakato says. Nails don't hold God's. To crosses. If Jesus wanted off that cross, he would have been off that cross. But Jesus was staying on that cross. He stayed voluntarily on that cross. He could have at any moment chosen to be released. He could have called upon a, a legion of angels to take him down off that cross. But he refused. He'd have none of it. He stayed there in the midst of this heavenly battle for me and you. He stayed on the cross to bear every sin of every human being who would ever live. The cross. If I was nailed to a cross and could get down, I'd be down. But Jesus wouldn't have it. But it's at this moment that Jesus of Nazareth experiences his greatest humiliation. Because it is at this moment that our Heavenly Father and His turned His back on the only 
Son of God. As your sin and my sin was laid on this sinless sacrifice, the Father, in his perfect holiness, simply could not bear it. God is so infinitely holy, he won't even be around sin. He won't even be in the presence of sin. And so he turned his back on his son. So let me get this right. In order for me to be delivered from the consequences of my sin, the father turned his back on the sin-soaked sacrifice, his own son. For you to have the hope of heaven, did Jesus willingly give up that which he never was without? Intimacy with the father. For you to have the hope of eternal life, did Jesus willingly give up that intimate fellowship with our heavenly father that he had always enjoyed? He did. And he did that for you. He did that for you. And the gospels tell us that it was simply unbearable. Matthew says that with a broken heart and a sun-parched body, Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? And after he has been given some sour wine, Jesus declares the work that God had given him to be finished. It is finished! But it's not a cry of submission, friend. It's a cry. It's a shout of victory. It's done. It's finished. When he does that, he lets out this one word. And that one word is tetelestai. Tetelestai. Which means it is finished. It stands finished. And it always will be finished. That word, tetelestai, was used by ordinary people in the marketplace. And that's the most meaningful use of this word, tetelestai. It was used by merchants. A merchant would say, tetelestai, your debt has been paid in full. Wow. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross. He completely met all the righteous demands of God's law and he said, Tetelestai, your debt is paid in full. See, 
Not one single Old Testament sacrifice could do anything about your sin. All it could do was cover your sin. But the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who died at the hands of man, now his blood can take away the sins of the world. Hebrews 9.26 tells us, Jesus came once for all time to put away the power of sin forever by the sacrifice of himself. Tetelestai! Your debt is paid in full. It is finished. But we all know that you have to trust in the fact that that debt has been paid. In verse 31, we see that the religious leaders begin to worry. They begin to worry that there's going to be some law breaking going on here on the Sabbath. They're so worried about breaking the law on the Sabbath, they go to committing cold-blooded murder. Now, the Romans could have cared less. The Romans would routinely leave bodies on crosses for weeks at the time, just let them rot up there. That would be a good sign for anybody that sees them, what the penalty of breaking the law would be. But to keep the peace, The Romans agreed to break the legs of those who were being crucified so that they could die faster. But then when the Roman expert executioners got to Jesus, they realized they didn't need to break his legs. Why? Because he was already unquestionably dead. He had shed his blood He had finished his course. And friend, we can be saved today not only because Christ submitted his body to the cross, but also because Christ surrendered his blood on the cross. Friend, now as our deacons distribute the cup, I pray that you will realize that Jesus set aside this as a symbol of his blood which is given to you as a new covenant.
as Brother Harold prepares to pray for the blood of Christ, I want to let you hear the Luke 22, verse 20. It tells us, likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup in the new covenant in my blood is shed for you. Brother Harold. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning, Lord, to tell you that we love you. Yes. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and for your grace. Mm -hmm. Lord, we pray this morning that you'll just uh, bless the service this morning. Lord, we are so grateful for what you did on the cross for us, Lord. You, the bread of life, Lord, we thank you. And for this cup, Lord, we... Thank you for it. It's a symbolic of your blood that you shed on Calvary, Lord. we just so grateful, Lord, that you gave us a place to be with you, Lord, after this life, Lord. We pray most of all, if there's one here that don't know you, Lord, that they'll turn to you, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. The Bible says there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. Well, there's been shedding of blood. The only question now is, do you believe in that shedding of blood? Our prayer is you do. Let us partake together. In conclusion this morning, not only has Christ Jesus submitted his body to the cross and surrendered his blood while on the cross, we also know that Christ succeeded after the cross. And in the closing verses of that passage, we learn that Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, has asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission so he came and he took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with the spices as was the custom of the Jews to bury. And now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb, which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day for that tomb was nearby. See, friend, usually dead criminals were just cast onto the garbage heap. But not Jesus. Two men come out of hiding, says the Bible. These men are good, they're righteous men. But up to their point, up to this point, their devotion has been very silent. My question to you this morning, has your devotion to Christ up to this point been silent? Why were they so quiet about their faith in Christ? Were they scared? Were they fearful? 
They were. They feared that they were going to have to change. Do you fear that? That if you become outspoken for the Lord Jesus, that somehow you're going to have to change? Well, you better believe you will. Would they be ridiculed? Yes, they would. Would their family turn their back on them? Yes, they will. Will you be ridiculed if you start being a little more outspoken for Jesus? Probably. Does it matter to you? If we're honest, probably. Would they be persecuted? Sure. Jews in this day convert to Christianity, not only can they not sell, but they can't buy either. How are they going to support their family? Is persecution coming your way if you start getting loud for Jesus? Oh, yeah. Does it matter to you? If we're honest, oh, yeah. Would you be socially cast out? It's that Jesus freak over there. You get to talking to him. All you're going to hear about is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Does that matter to you? If you're honest, probably. That sounds familiar to me in every way. Because I've been worried about how I was going to be looked at socially. I've been worried about uh, the changes I was going to have to make. If I start becoming outspoken for Jesus. I've been worried that they'd ridicule me. I've been worried that the government would persecute me. But no longer. Enough's enough. I am what I am. And the world's going to know it. You are what you are. But does the world know it? I pray that as a result of what God has spoken to you through his word today, that you will renew your appreciation for what Jesus has done, that you will put all those fears aside, and that you will dedicate yourself to worship him and serve him in any and every way you can. Now Christ's success is as Paul Harvey said, the it's the rest of the story. I want to give you a number. The number is 82. What's the number? 82. I give you that number because 82% of people who don't go to church will if they're asked by a friend or family member. What's the number? 82. 82. Greater than three quarters of the ones you'll ask will come. If you'll ask them. And next Sunday, the truth, the life-giving message of the resurrection of Jesus is going to be preached. We're going to be singing about it. We're going to be testifying about it. And somebody can hear it and maybe for the first time come to faith in Christ because of it. If you don't just ask them.
So I want to encourage you this week to ask someone so that they can hear and be changed by the rest of the story. Amen. But I want you to know that you can be changed today, eternally changed today by what you've heard today. See, Jesus submitted his body to the cross so you can be saved. Jesus surrendered his blood on the cross so you can be saved. And friend, Jesus succeeded after the cross by being resurrected from the grave so we all could be saved. And the Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Those are the words of God. And I pray they found a place lodging in your heart. So my question to you today is, haven't you waited long enough? Haven't you waited long enough to come to Christ? Haven't you waited long enough to be outspoken for Christ? We've symbolically Partaken of his body and his blood today. He's in you. All you got to do is let him out. Amen. Open your mouth. Open your life. Let him out. And people will be blessed because of it. If you will. Haven't you waited long enough? Let's pray. Father God, I do thank you so much for your word. Even the painful parts of your word. Father, as we read the narrative of how you permitted your son to give his life voluntarily for our sake, Lord, it hurts me. I'm humiliated. It breaks my heart. But if it does all that, then I should be a lot louder for Jesus than I am today. And I pray that all my brothers and sisters here today have experienced that too. But Father, I also pray for the ones that don't have a relationship with your Father through the blood you shed and the body you gave. Lord, that today they would say, I have waited long enough. And I'm coming to Jesus. I'm going to declare him with my mouth that he is my Lord. I'm going to believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And I'm going to be saved. Lord, I pray that for that person today. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said.